Hello and welcome to WCW vs. NWO podcast, the podcast that analyzes, dissects, and overbooks one of the most important eras of wrestling history. A very special episode this time around, and we dive into the career of the illustrious Bret Hart. Of course, if you don't have your clique with you, you are going to get screwed. So with me here tonight is Connor O'Donnell, all the way from Chicago, Illinois. How are you doing, Connor? Hey, uh, Dave. Uh, I'm doing good. Only if I can uh, stretch you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little grumpy because the cold weather and, you know, watching all this Bret Hart footage and watching Wrestling with Shadows. Man, some dark stuff we're going to talk about. Mm, salty, salty, dark stuff. You can't have a hard foundation without your European connection. Fergus Looney, all the way from Dublin, Ireland. How are you doing, Fergus? Oh, I'm good, I'm good. I really wanted to play the Hitman music, but I'm sure we'll get copyright striked for it. So you're just going <laughs> to have to imagine a wailing solo right now as we get into it. Uh, but I'm good. Yeah, I'm on holidays, so I cannot complain one bit whatsoever. I'm happy that I got introduced first in front of in front of Gus this time. So yeah, for a change, it was nice. <laughs> got, got to mix it up for the specials, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing to do with favoritism, is it, Connor? <laughs> <laughs> now, I wasn't sure which one of the Heart Foundation that would be. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm a Brian Pillman or no. Probably an Owen because I'm the little brother in my family. So you're, you're, you're the power. Know. You're the power of the podcast. You're the editor. You're the Nightheart. Obvious, obviously. Whoa, wait, what? Sure, is Davy Boy. Uh, if he's power, but <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, I can't do a David impression. Oh. No, no, you, you, I, I would go with Owen. I think, I think Owen works. All right. Woo! Yeah. Like Dave is most likely Jim. I mean, mm. <laughs> oh. although you can't grow. <laughs> Nobody wants to be Jim. That, you can't even grow that goatee. Like, never mind. <laughs> well, we both have equally terrible facial hair. So we're, have, we're in, his facial hair is amazing. You're gonna have to retract <laughs> that right now. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if I can do the terrible laugh, the terrible uh, fake laugh. That's a, that's a skill. Oh no, I can't. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's tough. We're gonna dive into Brett's career a little bit, but first, I'd like to know what your guys' experience was it? Because I'm a bit of a, a Brett newbie. I kind of came into wrestling after him, and of course, I knew his legacy and heard all the stories, but I didn't get to watch him wrestle much. At the time, I watched after. How about you guys? You were you were watching wrestling out in the thick of it. Yeah, I, th- I think Gus, we're probably in the same boat, right? Because we we've talked about we both liked WrestleMania twelve, and yeah. we've seen that tape yeah, a million times. That that's pretty much like what I've I remember most about Brad. That's the Iron Man match. I mean, you know, everybody has an opinion on that match. Some people think it's all right. Some people think it's way overrated. Uh, I, I, I still like the match. I'm just very nostalgic for it. I think it's essentially like what Bret Hart is. Like he's very believable. He's just a, a great worker, obviously. And that match is just, it's what I wanted wrestling to be. I, cause I, when I would see the old timers and the big muscly dudes, I was like, this isn't wrestling. Like show me what Bret does. Yep. Couldn't agree more. I would say that when I first started re- watching it, he's the first wrestler I latched onto. So I'd say for a long time, he was, would have been my favorite wrestler. He always looked realistic. He had a plan. It made sense and it worked. And you knew once he started going into his very patented five moves of doom, match was over. I think as you'll see, I don't know how much we'll talk as we go on, but Brett was a very legitimate wrestling character. He took great care in his character and he provided a lot of really good moments with it. So I have a lot of memories from 92 to about 96, 7, say. And then... okay. Stuff would change. Way more than I. It's pretty much yeah. the two WrestleManias from him that are like the big moments that yeah. stick out. Because my friend, like, you have to watch 
these two WrestleManias. You have to watch the the blood match because he actually went to that WrestleMania. That was in Chicago. Oh, wow. Oh, down the street wow. from me. Yeah. He didn't invite me to that WrestleMania. What a fucking friend he is. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't I don't rate that match nearly as much. I don't like it as much as a lot of other people do. Like, I much prefer the Iron Man match. Mm. So for whatever it was, I, I, I didn't enjoy his wrestling as much for that period growing up anyway, whereas I've seen it now more recently and I, I appreciate it a lot better now. But yeah, it's way more I can remember of his earlier stuff from his Intercontinental up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so. been a, it's been a joy to kind of like revisit a lot of his material. Yeah, and obviously when we revisit like some of the WCW stuff, and I'll watch like old school WCW or WWF, a lot of stuff looks really outdated. But Brett's stuff still holds up amazing. He he always felt he was probably the greatest wrestler, and I don't know if you want to talk about um his lovely comments with uh, a certain other WCW wrestler who felt he was the best wrestler in the world. But they, they didn't we'll really get, get long we'll get in their that. opinions, uh, <laughs> let's say. He he felt he was pretty much the, the pinnacle. Like, he he did call himself the excellence of execution and made sure to back it up, to be fair. We'll, we'll have a quick look through his early life. We won't dive too deep into it because we can't document this as well as things out there. Watch Wrestling with Shadows. His autobiographies, while biased, are also very good. I'll say Brett was uh, the son of... Helena and the legendary Canadian wrestler Stu Hart. Stu was the founder and promoter of Stampede Wrestling and Wikipedia entry longer than uh, most dictionaries. Stu is a, a psychopath, but an incredible man and very interesting. He ran the famous dungeon out of his house, which is a training facility known for its old shoot style. And what do you want to stretch? Squeeze wrestling? Stretch is probably the better term. It's like an old rumpus uh, room, too. Yeah. <laughs> I love how it's called the dungeon. It's, it's so cool. I, I really hope yeah. they played, like, poker and stuff down there. Like, <laughs> like, I can just imagine them wrestling while some of the other kids are just bouncing on the couch and Helena is, like, just hoovering in the background, you know? C- coming in with Rice Krispie treats and, and tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Break time. <laughs> <laughs> Stop killing that man, Stu. We got we got your iced tea. I, anyway, I she she would say that to be honest, judging by yeah. their their upbringing. Yeah, Brett would note that his father had a very pleasant demeanor, except while training, where he would uh, go super tough on his sons and whisper morbid things in their ears as he burst their blood vessels in their eyes from stretching them too hard. I can't imagine the upbringing that Brett, all of his brothers and sister, has. It just seems like such a hectic and traumatic childhood. Wow. Just being not only the promoter's son, they talk about a lot about that in the wrestling with shadows, like being bullied about being the promoter's kid. And then there's a lot of other promoters, kids in the wrestling business. And somehow Brett comes out as less entitled. I'm not sure a better way to Pro- put it. Probably because he got treated like that. Like a lot of the other guys that you're alluding to, I think, really did get the like silver spoon kind of treatment in wrestling by their, by their dads for the most part. Whereas Brett, he doesn't get anything like, and they have to work their way up and they have to make sure that they're, they're worth it themselves. So yeah, it's God, I have like vague memories. I read that book so long ago now that he gets forgotten about a lot. If I'm remembering right, like there's just so many kids and so many people in the house that, there's just like always something going on people coming and going like coming in for training and stuff like that and 
I, again, I can't imagine. My family is super small, but my wife's family is just gigantic. Yeah. So we'll go to like family gatherings and I'm just like a nervous wreck. I'm like, there's so many people, so many people yelling. Like, I can't deal with it. So I can't imagine what it was like as a little kid. I mean, I, I guess when you're, that's the environment that you know. So it's, it's just, it's a shame that it's just normalized to him. Yeah. It's, and uh, for, for those of you that don't know, family of, I think, 13, his 12 siblings. At least there's always someone to to hang out with. They do. He does note <laughs> that they like they almost paired off by age. Like the siblings kind of stayed within their age bracket. A lot of a lot of bonds there. Yeah, yeah you you're gonna have to work hard for your father's affection. So many different things going on, and Brett does with amateur wrestling early in his high school and college career because he knew his dad was amateur wrestler, and he knew his dad would be proud of him. He speaks of a profound moment where he shows him like this. I think it's state championship medal and uh, changed the relationship between him and his father. But he lost interest in the, in the sport. And I thought this was very interesting. He loses interest because he noted that a lot of Olympians and Commonwealth game participants ended up just being, again, not, not to insult anyone out there, but just being gym teachers. So he wanted something bigger. He didn't want to become a phys ed teacher or coach when he was done with his kind of moment of glory and when he lost interest in his film school, which he did in college, he went to pro wrestling and uh, started refereeing at Stampede in 76. Yeah, he notes that several times in the documentary about he credits going to film school was very integral to his his ability to kind of visualize matches in his head before they happen. Yeah, something I didn't know about him until I researched this. Yeah, it's, it's mad to think that like he wasn't pushed into it. <laughs> Like you would assume that because of the family and the way it's all built up and stuff that they're like, oh yeah, he 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 obviously was just been training since he was like 15 or whatever. And not to say that he wasn't, but there doesn't seem to be a massive pressure to be like, oh yeah, you have to, you have to go do the family business. They're like, no, no, go off and do this or be a fireman or whatever. Interestingly, he seemed to get into it because he knew. So Brett was, uh, was taught to be extremely good at amateur wrestling. And like, I, I speak about the Olympics there because his coaches thought he might be a Commonwealth game wrestler or an Olympic wrestler of a high caliber. And he knew his dad was going to be super disappointed. He didn't want to go. So to not disappoint his dad, he thought if he wasn't going to be an amateur wrestler, he'd be a professional wrestler because his dad would also appreciate that. So there, there is this kind of underlying tone of Brett's dad never pushed him into anything, but Brett's existence for a long time was, I want to impress my dad. Have you seen any of his earlier stuff? I guess for both of you. Yeah, going back, I've seen plenty of it. You know, the King of the yeah. Rings, the... Oh, no, I mean I this, book. I mean Stampede, like... I've not seen all... I mean, just the clips from yeah. Wrestling with Shadows. There's there's some really, really good matches. You're going to be shocked by, with uh, Dynamite Kid and David Boy and Owen, unsurprisingly. I, I know I watched Owen on World of Sport for a little bit. I don't know if Brett ever got a World of Sport run as well. Mm, not sure. The old school, like the end of the old school English... Yeah grappling kind of style of wrestling they're they're good to watch it's very funny seeing brett with his afro hair as well <laughs> like he hasn't learned that he can like wet it yet apparently <laughs> so it's just all over the place but no they're very very good and it, it really it really tells you're like he's learned a lot over the years i mean it definitely helps when when you're surrounded by really great talent it yeah it, it kind of goes in any kind of like art or you're getting good at some kind of skill. When you're surrounded by really good people, you, you're generally just going to get better. 
and he's surrounded by just amazing technical wrestlers. No surprise that he's really good at that. And early on promo, not so much. Ooh, no, no, no. no. Su- super nervous as well. Uh, jumping a little ahead. He, uh, he wears his glasses apparently in the early days because he's so nervous doing interviews that he wants to hide part of his face. So that's where the famous like, glasses come from. As Connor was saying, though, surround yourself with fantastic wrestlers, not only wrestling in Stampede, but also trips to Japan, where faces a bunch of the people we've already mentioned, but also wrestlers like Tiger Masks to some uh, super legendary uh, bouts. In 99, uh, 1984, WF gets bought by Stampede Wrestling. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I <Wow>. wish. <laughs> You just totally changed the timeline. Yeah. In 1984, WWF buys Stampede Wrestling and some of the talent. It's like this weird purchase. We've talked about this before where they kind of own the name, but not technically the company, but they bring a lot of the hearts and they bring Dynamite Kid and they bring the Bulldog along with them and stuff like that. This is where Brett's WWF run starts. And it starts with, I think, something very notable. They wanted to make him into a cowboy. And he refused, and he said, if you're going to be a cowboy, you better be a cowboy. He just didn't agree with playing these characters that had no semblance to your real life. I want to say he tried it, though. There is a there is a cowboy Bret Hart, or he's called something else, right? Oh, I was going to say it's from that TV show? <laughs> no, like he's <laughs> yeah. like a jobber of some kind. This might be pre-WWF, though. So in this time, he gets famous for his work in the Hart Foundation, with his partner, Jim, the Anvil Neihardt. And of course, they got the name, the Hart Foundation, not only because of the family name, because their manager, of course, is Jimmy Hart. Was that necessary? I don't know if it was, but I guess at the time, Hart was doing none of his own talking. Neither of them could talk. Jesus, no. Jim was terrible as well. Could he laugh at that point? <laughs> uh, maybe not. He might not have had that, really. Yeah, we had, <laughs> that we had to work a couple years for the laugh. Yeah, yeah, he had to work it in. <laughs> like He had to workshop it for a while first. I think these are like the epitome of that power and quickness tag team. This guy with these technical excellence and this huge hot tag. You know, I don't think Jim is the greatest wrestler of all time, but I think he's the serviceable big guy and a very good tag team wrestler. He's like the epitome of 80s wrestling to me. He's just like really average dude. Doesn't look amazingly muscular or anything like that. Can work a decent wrestle. Good at shouting, yeah. Yeah, and... <laughs> But has like a good character, so you're involved. And that's yeah. all there is. Like he gets by on way less skill and more nuance and intelligence, I guess. He seems like a Steiner. A Steiner or from the Legion of Doom, those kind of wrestlers you're talking about. Yeah, but not as good. Like uh, that's that's my point. Like he's not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's not excellent at anything, but he gets himself across very, very well. That's probably his best skill, is that he's able to portray himself to the limit. I think all these guys remind me of like bouncers. You ever see a bouncer outside a club and they have a little bit of a yeah. belly and they have a weird haircut and Maybe. you're like, he's kind of dangerous. I can sense he's dangerous yeah, I think though. Yeah, I think I yeah. think that's fair. He's like, yeah. he's like Greg the Hammer Valentine. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Greg, just rocking away, still got the mullet, could still probably wrestle for 10, 12 minutes and get his, get his shit in and that'd be it like. <laughs> as long as you have some kind of metal object as your nickname, you're, you're golden. Yeah, apparently, yeah. I, I thought what was cool from, from the early days that they pretty much got 
the the color scheme down right away. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I know they were different colors. I think from the start, but that black and pink that that's something else. Like what stood out from, to me, not just like oily hair and the, the size of Brad, but as we get into our era, it's, it's all the stupid black and white, and it's just refreshing to see a little bit of color and the color that you don't really see in wrestling at all. Yeah, I loved Brett's look. I, he, even from not knowing he wrestled, when you he looked the complete wrestler when you looked at him. And it, it's nothing over the top. And even he's coming in in an era of wrestling that's still very cartoonish in WWF. But even with these bright colors, there's something subtle about him, something real about him, and just the right amount of pageantry, but not over the top. Yeah, it just stands out, though. Like, everybody else is wearing, like, generally regular colored clothing. And then here's these guys pretty big dude well reasonably big dudes in pink you're like what's their story you're like okay i'm gonna watch these guys see what's what, what's the plan here so yeah, and let's not downplay the jackets the jackets were Ooh, the I mean, jackets finn, finn beller was taking notes he was <laughs> salivating he's he's missing those epaulets though he needs he needs some epaulets to really set it off mm, that's true so early in his career some notable feuds are uh his first singles feud is with Steamboat, which was going to be a WrestleMania 2 match, but instead we get him in the Battle Royale, which is a huge shame. That would imagine Steamboat versus Hart at a WrestleMania. He has a couple of uh, tag team title runs and some rivalries with, of course, the Bulldogs, which they exchange uh, exchange titles and matches with frequently in his run. He gets his first kind of uh, matches and taste of Shawn Michaels, real and... On uh, real life and on screen enemy for life. I they've made it. They've made up now, but I'm still convinced they fucking hate each other. You can see it in their eyes when they talk. Still today. I don't know. I don't know if Sean really cares to be honest. <laughs> I guess he's won already. He also gets to face people like Macho Man and Strike Force. So even very early on in his career during his earlier run, so Mike. <laughs> What? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because you're like Macho Man and Strike Force, like they're on the same level. I just <laughs> <laughs> we can have like Kurt Hennig in there, so somebody else. Yeah. But no, let's <laughs> Strike Force, Journeyman Tag Team. <laughs> Rick Rick Martel is a treasure. Also, Tito is there. Beautiful. Tito's the better of the two. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but some some huge high profile matches and not many duds, even in his early career. I think most of us know more for his intercontinental title. His kind of, we're going to call it his mid career, his uh, run against perfect. He, uh, he fights Sean here a lot. He drops the intercontinental title. Of course, famously the Davy boy Smith and SummerSlam main event. This is like the highest echelon. I think the intercontinental title ever reaches because of this wealth of talent. They have mm. at this stage. Mm. Arguable. Arguable. <laughs> What, what do you, what def, do you def, think it is? Definitely one of the top, for sure. It's one of the I mean, top, one of the yeah. Top. It's one, one of the top, top. but there's there's a better Intercontinental title match, for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I just mean, like, the prestige <laughs> of the title. Yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's arguable, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, he won it off Piper, right? Didn't he have a really good match with Piper in WrestleMania? No, yes, he, he has He has one of the few, like, clean victories over Roddy, Roddy Piper. Yeah. It's. It was weird going back to that match after watching our Piper matches. I was like, "What is this? This is a different guy." Yeah, Piper. Piper wins the title off the Mountie, who had mm. beaten Brett uh, yes. somehow. Yeah. I can't remember. It was shenanigans, Beautiful. probably with a with a cattle prod. There you go, shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not only with a cattle prod, a cattle prod, and he threw water over him. 
So, you know, it's super effective. Extra damage, yeah. Extra damage. No, but in fairness, that the SummerSlam match is one of the first matches I I ever saw that I can really remember watching properly. I didn't see it at the time, like, but after the fact, and it's it's an amazing match. And to hear Brett tell of it, he's like basically wrestling for two people for the entire thing. So, yeah, the the atmosphere of the match is unlike nearly any I've ever witnessed before. This was when there was very few international matches, like big events uh, abroad. So at this stage, Brett has had his workhorse title and some of the finest matches of his career, including that Wembley Stadium. Great. And we're moving on to his first WWF heavyweight title run against uh, Ric Flair. I forgot that Ric Flair was his first win for the title. Yeah, I know how to show. Well, I mean, yeah, they didn't show it, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So lame. Yeah, really lame. It's a really awkward period of the company because this is right in the middle of the steroid trials. So they gave him the title because they couldn't really put it on anybody else. He was the one that they could trust the most, I think, realistically at that point. And yeah, and for whatever reason, look, like Flair doesn't work out, so it's just kind of an yeah. awkward, awkward rental of Ric Flair, you know. And he just and Brett doesn't look like he's on any sort of painkillers or drugs or of, of that sort. So yeah, he looks fine. Yeah, which is sad because I think at this stage Brett deserves it. I think Brett is one of the best wrestlers in the company, and he's had some like the matches we've talked about. We're talking about like early mid career stuff are legendary top ten, maybe top twenty. WWF matches. This is before he was ever trusted with a heavyweight title, you know? So this era of his career is um, complex. I think the other ones we could easily say we're impressed by how many good matches there are and how little filler and the legendary people he feuds with. But now we're starting to get into, as you said, the steroid trial. He gets the, he loses the title to Yokozuna which at first seems fine. Yoko's actually quite young at the time as well, so it's two young guys in the main event of WrestleMania until Hulkamania runs wild on the Ute <laughs> and takes his fifth world championship by beating a Yokozuna who randomly challenged Hulk Hogan to a title af- title shot afterwards. Wow, it was Mr. Fuji. Mr. Fuji challenge. <laughs> That's not, true. Yo- Yoko didn't do anything. Yoko. Yoko was happy enough with the bells, I think. And he was like, let's just get out of here. Uh, <laughs> I'm so, I'm so <laughs> tired. tired. Like, wait, <laughs> I have to wrestle again? Oh, fine. Okay. I w- uh, yeah, you wouldn't call what happened to poor Yoko after that wrestling. But even before dropping it to uh, to Hogan, effectively, <laughs> but you couldn't have a face versus face final match at WrestleMania. He was feuding with like Papa Shango before that, I guess. Well, he has some good title defenses before that with Sean and Razor Ramon. But then it's Papa Shango into like Yokozuna. Yeah, Yoko was pretty big though. Was pretty no, like, Yoko, not Yoko's literally. Good. <laughs> I meant, uh, yeah. I mean, he was that too. But Yoko was pretty over at the time. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm actually overstating because I missed Ric Flair here in the middle. So like Papa Shango is the only But like Yoko is Yoko. like a legit heel at the time. And yeah. so would be Papa Shango. Maybe not to the same degree, but I want to say Papa Shango probably had the feud with Taker around that time. Like in or around that period. Or even Warrior. That god awful feud. Oh, the, the one um, where he makes him puke a bunch. Puke black blood, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those guys were like at the top of the card. Now, like you can... You can say, okay, it's not great, but that's the best they had. Fair, that's fair, that's okay. the options. Like, it's that or pulling up a guy like Michaels or Razor probably too soon. Yeah, that that's very fair. What do you guys think of the, the vice of Jerry Lawler feud soon after this? 
I love this feud. It's great. Uh, yeah, I love the feud. At the same time, like it's, it seems like it's kind of a downturn for him, just because the that King of the Ring coronation for for Brett is it's just such a defining moment for him. Yeah. It's such a great pay per view that I, I I know Jerry Lawler is like a legend, and let's not talk about his personal stuff. Yeah, yeah. but like as as far as being like an awesome heel, like he's obviously one of the best. His psychology is stupidly good. But like he's obviously way too old, and it's this—it's the same thing of like Bret Hart. Like he's the young up and comer, so it, it just feels. Yeah, it's, every it's, time I, I go back and watch it, it just—it doesn't seem to work for me. Yeah, it's like I love the feud, but you are right. Like you're like, this guy should be the face of your company. Why are you why are you spending your time on this? Like it's probably because of Hogan being a dickhead. But like I know that this was yeah. connected in with the USWA stuff. Yeah, with all so, the stuff as well. I assume they wanted that to to have some sort of prominence. Don't have a lot of people on their roster that you can really watch at the time. So I, I'm a big fan of the feud, but it does seem like, as both of you said, just weirdly timed. So if this feud had become come before the title runs, I think it's great. Like it is a well built psychological. Jerry Lawler is maybe the best person at getting under people's skin of all time in wrestling. But is this what you want? You're just just former world champion doing. I, I don't know. I mean, I could see the, their point of view too, because I know on center, several interviews, I, I know Brett, he just ran out of opponents to wrestle at some yeah. point. Like, there's just, and that's kind of the reason why he turns heel. Not a reason, but like, I'm sure it helps that he turns heel. So he, there's he has somebody just else. More guys to, that he could yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the period where they've like Adam Baum and Duke the Dumpster Drossy. Like, Doink the Clown is going to show up in the next while if he hasn't already. Oh, I love Doink. Like all that kind of period of stuff. Like they're all like, okay, they're kind of these weird characters. They're funky. And then like Diesel is about to show up within the next little while. But none of them are ready. Nobody that you're going to go, yeah, I can see him wrestling Brett for the WWF title. None of them are believable. And I don't know why, I guess Sean was having drug problems or attitude problems or whatever. I can't remember, but he probably should have been higher up sooner and he just wasn't maybe is they were trying to position him as a face i guess so they were on the same side so they like you're saying they couldn't wrestle each other yeah it's a it's a really weird period in wf really weird after this i think the booking goes from like as we're, we're talking about jerry lawler being like we don't know good feud but weird ramifications into other title runs from Hart, but he drops the title Speaking of a spread in roster to, to Bob Backlund, and yeah. I love Bob, but I loved his new gimmick. I love his, you know, I was an American hero, but you, yeah, the gimmick. crowd is the, the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, we say gimmick, I mean what he rambles when he walks around the street. Losing to Bob Backlund, even though it's a, like, it's a cool subversion and like you never expect it, knocks a lot of wins out of that sales, even if it is, you know, Further the feud with him and Owen. I'm not a big fan of that kind of storyline. And then to have later Bob just lose the title in eight seconds to Diesel. Well, it wasn't later. It was like a day later, Dave. Yeah. This t- this part of the timeline gets really fuzzy for me. The other bits are clear and I've watched a lot of. But I think a lot of this is skippable. I don't want to go over all of it. But the feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin is not. And I think a huge changing point in Brett's career. So we can talk about the evolution of wrestling and we talk about it becoming more real and based on real characters. And that's where 
Steve Austin comes in in his 1996 win of King of the Ring. Steve was what a lot of the other wrestlers in WWF wasn't. He was just a... You couldn't even... Like, his caricature was redneck, if you want to call it that, like, traditional redneck character. But it seemed to evolve beyond that, where it was just angry, entitled, cocky brass heel, and it contrasted what Hart was in so many ways. This is kind of where I, I, this is obviously the most interesting, not just like because he has the best matches with Austin, but this is kind of where the documentary of wrestling with shadows like kind of gets into. Like, yeah. I always feel like Brett, obviously he respects Austin, but like, I just feel like he's so bitter against what Austin did to his career. It seems like he's projected to be this champion. And then Austin's like, Nope, I'm going to make you turn heel because people love me for doing just nasty shit. And, yeah, I think he gets really bitter because he's done everything that's been asked of him and he still doesn't get what he wants at the end of the day. And despite like when he goes to Europe, and I mean, he obviously brings this into his character, when he goes to Europe and he goes to Canada, he goes to Asia, or wherever they travel, and everybody loves him. And then he goes back to America and they're like, ah, you're all right, You like Steve, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Steve's better. And you're like... He's like, come on, guys, what else do I have to do? Like, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I really don't blame him because he's just getting frustrated by every, like Hogan fucks him over basically for the title. And then there's the whole whole shit that we didn't really talk about with Sean and the Iron Man match and his personality and the two of them clashing over everything. And obviously it comes back in in a very brief amount of time after Austin. And it, it, it he always seems to like lose out on it in a way, but he goes, okay, fine. I'll stay. We'll do it this way. But and like, he'll get an agreement. Like, Oh, we'll get you back. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get you back. And he never seems to. So I don't blame him really. He's done nothing, but give everything to this company. And he doesn't seem to be given any plaudits for it for a lot of, a lot of the time. Yeah. It, it comes out with the impressive storyline where, he hates the American fans. The American fans hate him, but he's a face everywhere else in the world. It said only Canada, but let's face it. He's a face everywhere else in the world but America. And that's just real life. It's uh, real life mimicking the story or the story mimicking real life. And I can understand. And it's been set up to be this because it's not only the fans reacting to just naturally what's happening in wrestling. How can you cheer the guy that like loses these matches? You build him up as a big thing. But then he loses to Bob. You know, you build him up as this big thing. But he's made Yokozuna's and Hogan's bitch in one night. So you keep putting him on the cusp of complete stardom and then asking him to take the fall because his time will be later. He's still young. He's still great. He can recover from any loss. And there's only so many times that can happen before someone is going to cheer Austin, this guy that's ripping through the roster, isn't losing that much. And when he loses... He doesn't care. A lot of Austin's losses at this stage, he'll get his heat back by being so heated and nasty after the match or so confrontational that he almost doesn't care he got his ass kicked. Where you can tell Brett cares, and we all know it's the 90s and caring isn't cool. Yeah, we are the WCW versus NWO podcast, so let's let's talk about the, the NWO narrative then. Like, Do you think the NWO pushed this kind of transformation? Yeah, I, I certainly think it has something to do with it. I think it's an overall arc of, like, no one is enjoying what face wrestlers do anymore. There's actually a lot of mirroring in current wrestling with it, where there was this traditional face, and Hart was 100% that, and you're looking at guys like Sting was 100% that in WCW, and people are sick of it. 
People don't care. It's been shoved down their throat a hundred times. And what the heels get to do, because playing a heel, and you ask any wrestler to apply this, has so much freedom and it's so much easier. And they don't have rules. They can just do what they want. So all these great characters, the NWO make these fantastic characters because, you know, Booking's asking, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, I think we're just going to go out and spray paint, guys. We're just going to run amok. There's no rules for us where the, the faces have to do things. They have to be gullible. They have to be loyal and they got to take their vitamins. And that's the only thing they're allowed to do. And I think Brett was stuck in this. I think as much as he hates it, this transformation he takes for this being the heel in America is fantastic wrestling and fantastic character development. I think, Connor, that if that weren't to happen, I do think that it would have arrived through ECW in that they mm. it would have been pushed yeah. more mainstream. So I think it would have happened anyway. It's just that Hall and Nash were smart enough to latch on to something that was building and they had a much bigger platform to explode it. Now, obviously there's other parts to it. Like having Hogan is a big, big part of the deal because it was such a shocking turn. And they did, they did do the very beginning of it. Correct. And I think they made a big (laughs) deal out of it, but I do think it would have happened regardless. It just might've taken two more years, maybe. I just wonder the validity of this this narrative because like because I've been listening to like more Bischoff podcasts and he's like oh you yeah. know we changed the business and stuff like that. It's not just him saying that too because it's been like WWF like documentaries and all this stuff. So it's like I, how true is this really? Yeah, is this just lazy promotions not building faces or, or is it them not reinventing how the face should be? I guess instead of like they just kind of Looked went with culture it. instead. <laughs> I don't know. It's like. It, it happened organically is kind of like yeah. what, what just happened. It's like they, they tried to like, oh, we made had this master plan. No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't really agree with that. I don't think they knew what they were actually getting into. I don't think that they realized how much stuff was going to change. And I mean, because of that, I think Vince probably was able to capitalize because they had the bare bones of it. They didn't really know where else to go. And Vince went, well, let's just go up to 10 and steal as much of ECW as possible uh, Hmm. with all the like mature rated stuff that they could get away with. And they were able to capture it, but it's all dependent on the people involved. If you don't have Austin, does that work? Probably not. If they don't get Mike Tyson, does it work? Probably not. Like there's so many things that have to slot into place. And that weren't, that weren't a plan. Oh, I I know. Gus, like, cause I think about that. Yeah. A ton. Like as doing more research for this episode, I'm like, what if like Austin gets hurt again right when yeah. Brett leaves? Like they are like, fucked. <laughs> but like, what, what if his first neck injury is just it and he can't come yeah, back? Yeah, even worse, right? Yeah, that's what, it. What well, if he comes well, back and he, he's worse? What What if the injury is like a little worse and he comes back? There's it's, so many dominoes and so many different things that happen, and none of it is by design for either of the companies. Like, what, what, what if Brett just pulls a Hogan? Is what I always thought, because he's so fed up for so long of it, and he does politics a bit like everyone. But what if he's just as a big, big of a dick as Michaels or Hogan, and he just decides not to drop titles as much? I think it's just his personality that he's not. He hasn't been brought up that way. Yeah, and for better or worse, the, the probably the best the best characterization I can give of Brett, which is probably a bit derogatory to be fair, but he's a number two. And that he's never going to be the one that pushes everything. But if you get the right person around him that is able to lead something, 
he'll be amazing. And it's only really with certain people you see him at his best. Yeah, I, I could say maybe 97 Brett is like maybe the only thing that could... That's, yeah, that's probably the closest challenge. he gets to being a full-on, like, I'm going to take control. And then he gets destroyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, even getting hurt, though, he's... I mean, we watched the Canadian Stampede show, and you could see how much momentum the guy has, even being hurt for a couple months. He was just on TV in a wheelchair, but he's delivering great promos and yeah. just engaging storylines still. And 97, Brett, it's just... It's part of the reason why I want to do this cast, because, like, like the stuff he's doing in 97 is so intriguing. It's just... Yeah. When I go back and watch his promos, I'm like, this is a different guy. Uh, and obviously, it's it's himself coming out. Yeah, and it's largely forgotten about again because WCW has like the biggest year of it, it ever has, basically. Or well, yeah, and one the, of the, the biggest the screw years. Job. So, <laughs> the screw but, job but you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I mean, in a positive way for him. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's completely overshadowed by the WCW stuff until the screw job, and so yeah, it's largely forgotten about. Like, I I, I would say that a huge swath of fans now wouldn't have the slightest idea about any of that. Because they don't talk about it. They only talk about Austin when he in the run-up for WrestleMania where he gets into a fight with Mike Tyson and wins the title off of a broken Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Even the podcast we're having right now, if you pointed it out, like you've seen so little of it, Dave. He basically doesn't have a career for you. And WWE does nothing to portray that Come as being anything yeah. else. They're like, yeah, he, he was he was with us, but They'll never talk about it outside of the screw job. So I can kind of see yeah. where he's so bitter. <laughs> I, I, re, I really can. I, I rewatched uh, the Wrestling with Shadows documentary, and we'll get into the screw job as every podcast about wrestling ever has to in a few minutes. But he's so genuinely hurt that he did everything. Like yeah. he did everything he was asked. He he did everyone politics is a bit. Everyone in the higher end has, says no somewhere. But, like, he dropped the title to Bob Backlund. He didn't care about the Diesel stuff. He's kept working with Sean, even though multiple times he's gone on record of he doesn't like Sean, he doesn't think Sean should be in the spot. But he's just, you know, placated and played off. There's guys that are pushed way ahead of him, even though he's carried titles through injuries and done his very best. A lot of what he asks and is requested and is just refused. He... As much as I love his work as this anti-American, he hates it. He hates it. He does not think this is what a face should be. And he hates the things he says on TV. And he says it in the documentary. But he does it anyway. He hates the whole dynamic of this. What is, I think, his most interesting character, by the way. His tweener character. But he does it anyway. That's what Vince asks. And Vince is the boss. And that's how he was brought up. And it's exemplified by a lot of what made him stick out as a great wrestler in Stampede. But even though he was a heart, he'd job. He'd do the GOB anytime. He did it in Japan a bunch. He was known for making guys look excellent. And that's, that's especially what, what was the, oh, what's the really big guy that he does a WB run with and they think he's going to be the next world champion and he's just terrible. There's like a tape. They, there's a tape. Oh, the mystical tape. This is Tom McGee. Yeah, Tom oh, McGee. talking about Tom McGee, yeah. Yeah, and he makes Tom McGee look so good. They think he's going to be like, the new yeah. it, like the new this Hogan. Is, this is where I also would refer to him as a two. He's so good at making everybody else get to a level that you don't want to yeah. lose that person because no. if you make them too good, then you can't use them anymore to elevate everybody else. 
So he's kind of stuck. He's he's kind of a victim of his own ability at that stage. Yeah, he's just a victim of the times as well. Like, yeah, it's another also, big what if. Like, what if you plop Bret Hart into like a different time period, but when you put him into the Attitude Era, it's like, oh, this character does not work. Obviously, on his personal level, like he's he's calling this smut TV, and he's, yeah, he's right. He'd hate us. <laughs> When you look back at it, like, he's right. This is garbage. Yeah, we, we look part. at it now and we're like, oh, Brett, you were so right. Why did we watch, why did we watch it, Brett? <laughs> I mean, we were 20 years younger, so our, our, our <laughs> yeah. brains were a little yeah. bit different. <laughs> like, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's. I've always felt sorry for Brett. And having to do this podcast, having to look over it, I feel even worse and get, get why he's so mad. That's the only thing I can say. I get why he's so extremely mad. And I think, Gus, you're completely right. He makes everyone look so good. Like, is there an Austin without Brett? No, I don't think so. I don't think Austin gets to that uh, exact level he's at. I think that match, that feud, being, being able to bounce I think, off someone I think someone Tyson is more important. That, also, Tyson is extremely important. I will say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think, like, Shawn Michaels gets to the heights he does? Do you think DX? Yes. Without Sean, having to Sean play gets off? there. Sean is I'm, is getting there no matter what. I'm not sure because who else in the company does he have the bounce off? What grumpy face does he have to tease at that time that isn't <laughs> Brett? Because I don't think there's anyone good enough to make Sean look great. Uh, I mean, obviously the take the Taker feud was is yeah, also like, fantastic. But yeah, but he he can't like toy with Taker. He gets to annoy Brett. He gets to get under Brett's skin. Taker is impervious. Austin's impervious. So while Sean obviously has amazing feuds with both of them in this era. They're just good wrestling. They're just these characters that bounce off each other. And Taker and Austin look better after those Sean feuds than Sean looks, even though Sean doesn't look bad. Sean well, gets to make... Sean's Brett very different at that point. Like, what, what yeah. you're asking is, when they were pushing Sean, this is like 93. Like, don't forget, yeah. Sean had two main events in a row before. Like, he lost this the main event the previous year because it was a test run against Diesel. Like they've wanted the belt on him for a very long time and it was just positioning yeah. it right. So I think he's getting there no matter what. Yes, to varying levels of success, I, I, I won't dispute that, but they probably didn't have a better wrestler to go against. But I think Sean is still making it and it doesn't matter. But anyway, it's Brett. And I think what you're trying to say where he's like supremely loyal, the one time he does try to stand up and he gets absolutely destroyed for it. Yeah. So and, I mean, do you blame the guy either too? Like no, it's, no, not at all. As we were talking about the area of the like the WWF is changing into this thing. WCW is obviously at the point. You know, we we don't know that WWF is going to run away with it at this point. I don't. I blame also want to line up how uncomfortable Brad is coming into this screw job and the final contract negotiations. There's two now now infamous at the time famous promos, and it's one where. Hart caused the members of the Generation X homos, and he said he was kind of forced into that. He didn't really want to. He was also involved in the Nation of Domination blackface. Like that was kind of a triple feud where he's always feuding with the X and Nation's getting involved and everyone's in the stable. And he hated having to be involved in both of those things, apparently. And he's apologized for being involved in both of those things, probably more than the actual people that wore blackface at the time. And he hated it. Like, as much as we're calling WCW, like, adult TV and non-cartoony, right at this time, WWF is trying to do anything to seem like adults, even if it is Shawn Michaels and Triple H doing what they want. 
It just has to be uncomfortable, too. Like, we, we talk about this on WCW. Like, uh, oh, Deborah and Mongo air out your grievances on TV. It's yeah. it's kind of the same <laughs> thing with Sean yeah, and Brad. It's like, you know, uh, let's uh, make comments about uh, you cheating on your wife on TV. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's going to go over well with your site. How, how yeah. are you going to talk about that? Oh, uh, you know, some sunny days. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Vince, I hate this guy. Do I have to keep working with him? Oh, just a little bit longer. It's, it's great shit. It's great shit. And he's forever the professional. Yeah, they have confrontations backstage, but people who hate each other that much and still manage to work so many matches has got to be, has got to be tough. And also, it's not like they're snug. It's not like it's Stan, the Hanson versus Vader, and eyeballs are being popped out. These guys work safe with each other. They're professionals, you know. And it's not so, great shit. It's such good shit. Such good yeah. shit. Sorry. Such good, <laughs> such good shit. I'll get the meme right. I'll get the meme correct. So this is where a lot of things get fuzzy. Because there are a lot of people who claim things went different and it is impossible to find the truth. We know that Brett is offered a 20-year, $1 million a year deal that's like backloaded. So he doesn't get all of the million dollars in the first couple of years, but he will get them near the end of his contract. This is so he stays with WWE. He gets this uh 1996, I think, if I'm correct. And then by 1997, Vince said they can't afford it anymore. The offer was also apparently passed this way because there was some negotiations with WCW, though we're not going to dive into that because so many people claim it didn't happen and so many other people promise it definitely did happen. And we don't know. We just don't know what the truth is there. So we're not going to we're not going to hazard a stab in the dark at that. There's not enough information out there for us. So Vince asks, basically asks if he can go back on the contract. The WWE can't afford it. That paying Brett this money will break them. And at the time, if stuff is to be believed, in Titan Towers, office furniture was being sold, trying to keep the company afloat. The NWO was putting so much pressure in 97 on the WWF. He went to WC, Brett went to, was encouraged to approach WCW about this supposed contract and the original offer that was so good. And Brett, according to him, again, pinch of salt, really wanted to stay if they could come close to the WCW offer, but they couldn't. So they had to find a way to take the title off Brett, and Vince was deathly scared they'd get another Medusa situation. This is where the infamous Montreal screw job comes in. Because according to Brett, he was willing to drop the title to Sean at any stage except in Montreal. He was not going to do it in Canada. This is what we're talking about. This is Brett's stand. He's not much of a politicker. He's not much of a, a dick when it comes to backstage shenanigans. But this is Brett's definite. The click and Vince McMahon took this to mean that Brett was going to leave with the title, that he was bamboozling them and that he was just delaying the inevitable. Brett said he'd drop it in, in America straight after Montreal, but they didn't believe him. The screw job takes place. And I don't think we have to walk through exactly what happens in the screw job. Everyone has seen it. Everyone knows the aftermath, the WCW with fingers in the air, the spitting on Vince. And uh, did you guys get to watch this at the time? Were you, you both were watching a lot of wrestling at the time. I didn't know what this was until yeah. maybe 15 years late. No, not, not not that many. Even like they they reference it. I watched that Survivor Series 98 when, you know, The Rock wins the title. They're like, oh, it's the, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the screw job. I'm they like, reference what are they talking yeah. about? Whatever. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. So, no, like I, I had no idea this this happened, really. I, maybe until I read Brett's book, maybe. I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't know. Didn't get it like you. But then, obviously, he left the company. And then I think maybe a year later is probably when I would have gotten the internet. 
So that's probably where I would have started to cop on me like, okay, WCW, what's going on with everybody? And I'd say at that point, I probably would have learned like, oh, well, this stuff happened. Okay, right, right. But I did watch it at the time. It was pretty, pretty weird <laughs> to say the <laughs> least as a, what was I, 11? Being like, what, what's going on? Why is he attacking the announcer? Like, because <laughs> I mean, he still wasn't, Vince still really wasn't that known as the owner. Like if you just watch the show, but he was still a commentator. It really didn't make an awful lot of sense what was going on and then how the, the show finished and Michaels is stomping off in a huff like he's not doing any of his usual stick or anything. It's just, it's bizarre if you've no context for it. And it's like, what, 22 years now, almost to the day while we record this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, actually, yeah. It's it's such a bizarre moment in history and it's been so hotly debated. The results of the afterwards, heart punching McMahon and McMahon fervently saying it never happened and he never got locked out, where in the Wrestling with Shadows documentary, you can clearly see a mark on McMahon's face and he's wobbly-legged walking out of that dressing room and some people in the dressing room are siding with McMahon and said it never happened and other people have said, yeah, no, he 100% punched McMahon in the face, which is such a weird, carny thing to get in an argument over. I know. My, my, my favorite moment from the documentary, though, is Brett's wife just completely running down Hunter. It's like a little school child, just like look on the ground. like, no, yeah. I, I didn't do I it. Didn't do anything. It's like, I didn't do I, anything. like, you know, you little snake, you've been, it's just so <laughs> weird to, I think she says like what comes around co- goes around. It's like, man, <laughs> Who would I have mean, thought if it, that if it ever comes around for Hunter, it's going to be a fucking amazing thing at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> On a personal note, what rubs me so much the, the wrong way about this, because I do like Brett and I do sympathize for him. What, what rubs me the wrong way is how much of a coward Michaels and Hunter are about it. Where they're both like, nope, it wasn't me, Brett. Like there's such, there's such loud mouths and documentaries and stuff about it. We're like, yeah, Brett screwed himself. We had to take the title off him. But you see in the shadows, like, a hunter with his face down. Apparently, Shawn Michaels afterwards to Brett was like, no, I'd, I'd never do that, Brett. I'd, ne- I'd never do that. That wasn't me. That was Vince. He's laying it all on Vince. He takes a punch to the face in the end. If you're going to screw someone out like that, and there's no consequence. There's no bad side to it. At least admit it to the guy. Go, Yeah, we thought we had to take the title off you, Brett. wasn't a nice thing to do, but we thought you were going to leave with it. Just being, it's almost like the ex are children at times. At this, like all the kind of all the kind of stories you hear about their backstaging, they're almost like school children, and they just run to Vince when they're in trouble. You know, oh, yeah, they're schoolyard bullies. Is is the yeah. per, the portrayal of them around that period for sure? Push and push and push, and then when somebody actually stands up, they're like, "Oh shit, no, 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 no I didn't mean that. No, 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 it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Vince, yeah. get him out of here. Vince, Vince, I don't feel safe. Vince, get him out of here." I can understand why Vince wanted to do it because he did it to them <laughs> before. Yeah. So he knows how damaging it can be. I guess it's happened to him with Medusa, but it's not. I don't think they really cared about Medusa. Sure, it was embarrassing, but I think because of the time and period it was, people actually caring about women's wrestling would have been very, very low on on the totem pole. So I don't think that mattered that much. It's not like they did anything with Medusa. I I guess you're absolutely correct. The the Ric Flair thing is overlooked so often. The Flair one is way bigger Mm. and a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And totally ruined at the NWA and WCW, the, the mixture of that company at the time, for a good while. I think he was very cognizant of that. Yeah, it's just weird because like he, he, you know Brett and you know yeah. what kind of 
guy that, Brett is too, and that's that's what I was about to really say. I was like, about it. you've literally run him into the ground for like six years, and he's never done shit to you. Do you really think he's going to do this now? <laughs> like, yeah, he he asked you to stay. He went, I would like to stay. Offer me a contract, yeah. and he's like, and they're like, no, please go. We can't afford you. And he's like, all right, I'll drop the title anywhere. Oh, he's gonna leave with it. Oh my god, he's gonna screw it. He said he'd drop it anywhere. Also, as a side note, we'll get into more serious stuff. This happens way too often in wrestling. It's such a weird cardy thing that these expensive, important things are just held in their luggage, opposed to put into a prop department and given to them on the night. I'm you pretty know? sure it's not done like that now. <laughs> no, I don't think it's done like that no. now. I know there's a lot of replica titles now where they can yeah. walk around with a replica. They, they carry replicas, proper, I think, most of the time. Yeah, yeah. but the, mm-hmm. the proper expensive ones are like... Uh, put aside, except so you don't, lo- so you don't case, lose them like Chris Jericho. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> what was the stake? What was the steakhouse called? Was it Longhorn or no? I think it was Longhorn. Longhorn. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. but it's so weird because Vince Vince did this to his competitors, so he knew the world champion just owning the world title is a mistake, and you should be able to own it and just strip it off them because that's not a problem. If, if Vince holds the title in his actual hands, he can just strip it off Brett when he leaves if Brett doesn't play ball. But because Brett is <laughs> because Brett physically holds the title, he's booked himself into this weird corner where he feels he needs to do this. It's bizarre. And it happened way too often. Brock Lesnar tried to do it to New Japan and did it to New Japan. That wasn't that long ago. It still happens today. It's absolutely bizarre. I mean, that was over 10 years ago, Dave. <laughs> oh, Jesus, was it 10 years? I think so, yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah just about. Yeah, so, I hate, I hate, yeah, to, I hate to break your uh, illusion that it was recently. Oh, my God. I need to get another drink. Dave, I think it's time, though. You, you need to... I've heard you've had some thoughts on the, the screw job for a while, and you, you like some conspiracy theories. You're a conspiracy theory kind of guy. I, I need to hear what, which, which part, which conspiracy theory do you believe in? I believe it's too convenient and i believe it's too advertised especially by the wwe who had the most to lose off it i think this is a super convenient way for brett not to lose in montreal for them to get the most coverage out of sean winning the title and give sean the most heat i think this is a work i think it always has been a work and i think the only reason brett doesn't come back to wwe earlier is because goldberg kicked his brain out so I think this would have set up to Brett coming back at some stage in the future under very good conditions and having good runs against Sean, against Vince, maybe against Austin again, but it wasn't to be because of his injuries. There's a bit too many convenient things about it. There's a bit too many camera angles. I know it's live, and I know probably the producers didn't know too much about it, so we're going, oh, we have to keep the camera on Brett. But no way you keep the camera on him for the entire W C, oh, what's he spelling? Oh, it's another W. No, pan the camera away. Like, I, I don't ah, think that's what's happening. I'm, I'm, man, I'm that unsure. Takes like a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unsure at best. I think if it happened, Vince would have told him to cut the feed the minute Michaels won. Now, the only thing that goes against my plan is Vince thought he was super sympathetic. Vince afterwards and his Brett, his famous Brett screwed Brett interview thought he was going to come out as the hero, as the sympathetic owner of the small town, old school wrestling federation. And the big Turner network was bullying him and using their money to get their world champion. And he had no other option, but instead he came off of, came out of, you know, what he really was a dick 
And he invented the Mr. Man, McMahon character, which is, we've learned as time has gone by, closer and closer to who actually Vince McMahon is in real life. Yeah, but Bischoff did it first, so he created he created the character. Yeah, Bischoff created bad bosses, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I can't wait to go off on that argument uh, down the line on the, on the podcast, uh, but we won't. Yeah. But so the crux of your argument, Dave, is that they just wanted to drum up some business by sending him yes. to another company for however long. Uh, and by the, by the way, lose a couple of their other employees, too. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I think that, that might be a ramification of they have to keep it secret. Otherwise, it looks very bad for everyone involved. So <laughs> I think the, all the preamble is true. Vince can't afford to keep Brett. WCW is offering way too much for Brett to turn down, which uh, turns out to be $2.5 million a year. And that's in 1997 money. That's like three billion right now. And I think that's all true. And they're like, okay, how can we get the most attention for WWE heat and make Brett look sympathetic going to WCW? How does everyone benefit from this? Because that's what happens. WWE, you know, they well, they think they're gonna look different, but they end up looking great after this. They create years, like this has created the most storylines of any one wrestling incident, maybe ever. Maybe the NWO creates more, but it's close because this is still creating storylines today. The stupid screwdriver. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that now. <laughs> You're, that's that's a bit over every, the top. Every now, every now and again, a terrible sharpshooter gets you know stuck yeah, but on that's someone. Just and lazy. Someone doesn't that's not. I wouldn't yeah, connect that to right. this. Like, I can't see how giving your best, one of your best stars, to the rival company that is apparently going to put you out of business is a positive move for yourself. I think they're stuck with that anyway. They don't have an option. They can't afford Brett. I think that's true. I don't think any of that is work. So if you can't afford Brett and he has to go and he doesn't want to drop the title in Montreal, what's the best way for him to lose the title in Montreal and for you to drum up some business doing it? I can't think of a better way to do it than what they executed. No, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> I'm not seeing how advertising your competitor is, is a benefit to yourself. Oh, they're doing it anyway. Brett's gone. Brett's like they, everyone knows Brett's in WCW. That's going to be your problem anyway, no matter what. So, what do you do about it? You're giving them publicity, I guess. Wait, it's you're giving them that pu- you're giving them more publicity than you are. Maybe. Again, as we go back to other earlier with the what ifs, like he doesn't know that his evil chairman character is going to take off. It just happens to be there, and then it happens to be there with Austin. There's no That's plan. True. He but, thinks he's well, going to be a good guy. After you this, think that's apparently. what he said. Like, that's what he said. This yeah. is the problem. Like, there's so many carnies in all <laughs> of this. So <laughs> that there's literally, like, I don't know what to believe. Like, I could very well believe that Vince did have the money, just didn't want to pay him because he probably yeah, felt was, he's like, ah, he's never going to be my top guy. I don't want to give him all that money. I just want him to stay. And to be honest, I think like in Vince's mind, I think he said, well, I got the best out of Bret Hart. Yeah. And I think I can let him go right now. I think Vince thought he was done. Yes. I, I can way, actually agree with that. And you can see Bret thinks that as well. In his documentary, he talks about, you know, they just use you and then they put you out to the back to the back of the shed and they put two slugs in the back of your brain. Bret, Bret feels like that's what Mr. McMahon has done at this stage. And there's a really good argument, as you guys say, for that. That they're like, okay, well, Brett's broken. He's not. He's never going to be as over as he used to be. Let's just focus on Sean and Austin and DX. 
that seems way more likely than your work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, joking aside, like I, I just wanted to talk about that a yeah. little bit, and like, we can get a little bit more into the kind of what how Brett's feeling at this point, because that's where I really wanted to capture as we go into Starcade, because like this is we have the the guy that was the world champion. You know, he's coming into WCW getting paid a lot of money, but this is a guy that feels like he's broken. And it's it's funny. I think it's like the first sentence in his book, or I can't remember what it is, or he says in the documentary several times, like he feel like his character was murdered. Like he would blow his brains out. He said several times. It's just like, how do you go on from that? Yeah, it's, he, he seems genuinely super depressed by it. And it comes over in his work. And it, <laughs> as we've said, it works great in his character, this sulky tweener that's slightly entitled Mag- magnificent but that's how brett actually felt brett was depressed brett hated his job and it's a job he loved for years i mean you got betrayed not only by like vince and the whole company but it's like he, he still feels betrayed by the fans as well oh yeah and you think he he is very optimistic going into wcw but obviously as he soon learns like it's not gonna it's not gonna happen the, same, the way he, he thinks yeah it's yeah. not gonna be the same I think it's the famous line. I think Vince tells him that WCW doesn't know what to do with Bret Hart. Yeah, the, which and ends up being very true. Did WCW know what to do with anyone is the question. But I think, yeah, I, think on, <laughs> I think though, even on a really basic level, like he's been with that company for the guts of 15 years at that point. And like, which seems crazy, right? At yeah, that point, but he like, still seems so young. For people, I don't know about you guys, but for, for me personally, like I've been with a company now for 12 years you really get used to stuff. And so yeah. even just the fact of moving is such a big deal. And he has no idea how everybody does it. So for all he knows, he'd be like, oh, I could have been working with a company that's been terrible for 15 years. Or as he's way more likely to find out, oh my God, I've had it so good for so long. <laughs> what was I bitching about? <laughs> like, and that's a real big, that's a real big fear, I think coming into him is like and that's why he says like i don't want to leave i know what i what the expectations are i know what i'm what i'm gonna do like i think a lot of what he he really wants at that point is he just doesn't want to wrestle as much like he's just like i'm tired of wrestling like 300 days a year not being at home all that kind of stuff yeah it doesn't help his home life his home life is also broken too it's he gets divorced god it's so depressing in the book reading that stuff yeah yeah he like it could be very much argued that while he still has three good years in him physically, if it wasn't for some horrific injuries coming up in our timeline, that he's just mentally broken at this stage. I think Brad is very mentally done and he's a professional. It doesn't show that much in his work, but is he able to recover? Is he able to reinvent himself? I don't know if he's in this headspace, if he was going to be able to. From Eric and WCW's perspective, you have to take him. Yeah, he's, 100%. He's probably at the apex of publicity wise because of what the stunt has caused. So having that person, you get to use that. You get to feed off it some way. Whether or not they do a good job is whatever. But from Brett's perspective, Brett's probably the most damaged he's ever been professionally. And I think it probably shows with how things go forward. I I agree with you, but at the same time, it's like, well, if you look at the roster, because we've talked about this a few times too, it's like, where is he going to fit yes. in, though? Like, you have so many top guys. Like, where? There, there are also You just brought in Kurt Hennig. Kurt Hennig's, like, yeah. pretty much the same. And not the same wrestler, but, like, yeah. very same similar caliber of wrestler. Like, he's yeah. the one that makes the other guy look good. He's the good intercontinental champion. He bumps like a fucking boss. He can deliver a good promo, that type of thing. And just, 
where is Bret Hart going to fit in in this? And but like you think it would work though. WCW is like it's more quote unquote family friendly. They don't do the they're not doing the the crazy stuff like porn stars on their television yet. That comes with like ninety nine and two thousand. They <laughs> man, do they take everything a dark goes turn out the window? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean yeah. that's because of a writer, so you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but mm. yeah, no, it is very true. I think just what I'm trying to say, I guess, is Eric's view of the whole thing is just. This guy's hot. This guy, everybody's talking about him. I have to have him. We can just use that. I don't think he has any consideration for where he's going to fit in. That's not been, that's not been thought about. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about the legacy of the screw job because I talked about there. It's mimicked a million times, but it has some like direct ramifications, and some of its mimics have some pretty big kind of results. So, for example, the screw job. I think it's a year later. Is one of The Rock's biggest storylines. It's, it's it's a year later. Yeah, <laughs> they redo Survivor Series with this tournament where The Rock is made to look like he's, you know, being interfered. That Vince, evil Vince, is uh, stopping him from winning. But actually, The Rock has sided with the corporation and he uh, uses the sharpshooter. And while you think I'm talking about this rejuvenation of The Rock's career. I'm talking about the worst sharpshooter ever applied by any man in any federation. And we've had to watch it because of the screw job for many years. <laughs> it's not that bad. Like, jeez. Oh, yeah. That's so bad. It's, I hate it so much. What's not so, bad is that, is that pay-per-view. I want to re- review that pay-per-view. It's one of my favorite of all. Oh, it's a great, yeah, great storyline pay-per-view. It, it, I think it's like it perfectly encapsulates like what the Attitude Era was almost. Mm, yeah. Yeah. For me. Less, uh, less joking, even though that pay-per-view is great and this does have effects on The Rock's career. Directly, Evil McMahon, one of the biggest heels in wrestling history, whether it's intentional or not, because as we said, there's been some interviews with wrestlers that say differently. And while I think Stone Cold probably still makes it, huge other rivals. So first he has Brett that he overcomes and becomes bigger than and is the polar opposite of. And then he gets to get that even step further because... When you break it down, who do people love more than, you know, a guy that gets to punch his boss that hates his work so much that he gets to come up and punch his boss and he never gets proper ramifications for it. And it's the biggest wrestling rivalry probably of all time because of the screw job. Michaels gets a last bit of juice out of it as well before his yeah, back Michaels, injury. Michaels becomes even more DXy if that was even possible after blackface than he was before and... Hunter, probably this probably indirectly launches Hunter's career and it makes him very cozy with Vince backstage. So all the pushes Hunter gets later on, because apparently a lot of this was Hunter's plan. All the pushes he gets later on and all the relationship he builds backstage probably launch from here when he's one of the biggest influences on modern wrestling. And to uh, get further dark into the legacy of the Hart family, I don't want to say it's directly related, but you have to connect some dots of Hart, Owen Hart's death. Basically, from this moment, I mean, yeah, Bret Hart leaving. Bret always wanted to protect Owen, and Owen is—he just kind of checks out after Bret leaves, and he, he's going to retire. Uh, uh, soon yeah, he after wants to he... retire. I'll just you know do my work. I'll whatever. I'll do this Blue Blazer character again. Who knows? Maybe if if the screw job doesn't happen, it's he doesn't do that stupid stunt. What well, none of them got into bad story. The, the thing is, so Owen makes the Blue Blazer work, right? Because Owen is just one of the best wrestlers of that era. Yeah, it's just arguable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. He, he's good at the comedy stuff. Owen is fine with this character. 
But at the time, they're doing pretty good work with Owen and the, all the Hart family and the indirect Hart family are getting good work in WB and big storylines and they all get squashed. They all get made into jokes when Brett leaves. Nyhard gets joins DX only to get like beat up a hundred times by DX and like faked out. Owen gets blue blazered pretty ama- uh, immediately after this, uh, right? Is he not the nation? Like, not first? immediately because yeah, is he not the nation? Yeah, Owen, Owen has a program with Sean like yeah. a little bit. Owen goes with the nation, and then it's the blue blazers. Yeah, yeah. And he's well, the with nation Jeff is well. supposed to be. Yeah. The, the nation is supposed to be a joke, right? In, in Vince's eyes, like as much as Owen makes the black heart work and be that petulant, he makes everything he does work. Jobbing to Sean and being in the nation aren't rewards. They are lowering sure, them down the card. I guess, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. As much as I, I love the nation, and I think everyone in the nation made that gimmick work, and I think Owen made the Blackheart gimmick work, I don't think that's how it looked in the Booker's eyes. So this has long-lasting legacy, and it it propels Brett into what you would think is going to be this like fury-filled WCW role. This is perfect for what Brett should be in WCW. But we're not going to spoil too much of that. We have Starcade coming up where we're going to talk about his debut and how they use him. A little bit of spoilers. With the momentum he gets off this, we don't think on the cast he's used correctly. <laughs> what would you do with him? That, that, so that you, is a good question. So just, just assume that you don't know the card, Dave. What would you do with him? Where do you fit him in right now? So I, I would I would say, and this is with hindsight, and maybe this is silly, I would just have him built up a lot and not appear until he can actually wrestle. Give him it's I think it's a 30-day non-compete clause if I'm looking. Well forget about that. Forget right about here. no competes and stuff. Just assume he oh, you can use him. I probably have him as a heel, and I think I would overthrow Logan. Ooh. Yeah, I think okay. I think I'd have him as a heel. I think I'd have him not be this like I don't trust anyone because Vince screwed me, like WCW will screw me and everyone will screw me eventually. And you have him in the NWO and eventually he overthrows Hogan. He becomes the leader of the NWO within like half a year and Hogan gets thrown out of the NWO. That's what I would do. All right, Connor, what would be <laughs> after oh, that? I, it's hard to top. I did right. not think about it. So I, I, have, I, have, I have a few like initial thoughts because I haven't seen like I haven't, I haven't caught up on the Nitros like fully yet, so I, I, I can't comment fully on it, but. Yeah, if I didn't have to think about it, I would probably just have him wait until I wouldn't mention him. I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't even point out the screw job happened. Nothing. Like I would wait until Starcade happens. Yeah. Cause like I think Sting Hogan thing needs more attention because it's been a over year long like storyline, which they're poorly uh conveying. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that in Starcade. So I would wait until that runs its course. I would kind of do something else with the NWO. Obviously, they split the the factions. I would maybe have Brett kind of be the leader of the Wolfpack or something like that. It'd be a great opportunity because like Nash and Hall, they like working with Brett. So it'd be natural, I think, to do that. And obviously Brett hates Hogan and Brett wants that match with Hogan. He doesn't really get it. Although I, I, I want to point out to like Brett, like he thinks like this legendary match with Hogan is going to be like the best match of all times. Like Brett, it's, it's not going to be like, <laughs> no, it's not going to be good. It's not going to so be good. I don't good. know if you've seen Hogan lately, but <laughs> it's, or, it's not going to be as good as you think it is. Um, so th- those are the two options. I, I would think it, it's, yeah. it's hard to say, but I would probably, I would probably just have him as a face. I, I don't think yeah, heel is wrong. Have him heal. Yeah. 
I think it's not wrong. It's, it's you can you can do it correctly. It's just I, I think it's just natural to have him come in as a face because we we need more faces in WCW. I, that's fair. I think my carniest of hearts would be use him like you said. Don't have him have nothing to do with uh, him on the nitros. So don't even reference that he's coming. Have him interfere in Starcade mm, and yeah. play him as the face and run him as the anti north and northeastern guy which plays mm-hmm. back into the very beginning because he's just gotten screwed over by north the northeastern company so now he's come down to get rid of the other lads yeah and you no, just run him as, be awesome. the, as the big guy against nwo and you let sting go off and have the title against other people if you want you don't have to sure. you don't have to connect them yeah i wouldn't even put him in the, the title picture right away i i would say wait maybe a year and imagine yeah. like a title picture it's like you have goldberg you have ddp you have brett you have nash and like maybe Hall, obviously, if he wasn't like screwed up mentally, imagine your upper card like that. That sounds awesome. It could even be amazing if it was like even something simple like the Nitro before Starcade or Starcade itself. You know, Hogan, you got the entire NWO. WCW nah. hasn't cut it defending me, and he comes out to be like the enforcer or something. Nah. Like just keep the NWO away from ringside and don't have a matchy. You just kill all the buzz about it. I think doing that. That, that could I be yeah, true. I don't think Brett as a character works that way, yeah. but it, it's really co- it's really fun to just think about though, because yeah. yeah, the path they choose is not ideal. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not but fantastic. I don't I don't think they're miles away from the right path. What is the thing? We, we I think we're going to get into this on the actual Starcade episode because there's a big thing to talk about about yes. the finish of that match and how <laughs> it runs, and maybe their way was actually great if it was executed properly. Let's say it like that. Ah, nice pun. We ask at the end of every episode, usually, what side are you on? Obviously, there's no NWO here, but Gus, whose side are you on? Poor, sympathetic, Bret Hart, <laughs> or me, Mr. McMahon? I mean, it's there's no question. Not leading the witness. I mean, he was my favorite wrestler growing up, so it's obviously Vince and Kenneth. No, it's it's Bret. It's Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> favorite Jack Grandpa himself. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, Bret's, Bret's one of the best wrestlers. I'm probably... Because of the way things have worked out, probably one of the most overlooked now. How about you, Connor? What side do you find yourself on? Before doing this cast, I, I would actually go back and forth on it frequent times. I, I, ex- I actually had my wife listen to a podcast about the screw job because she, she knows pretty much nothing about wrestling. And, you know, she sides with, with Vince, basically. Yeah. And a lot of times I, 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 I bide into the, the Brett screwed Brett narrative. And, but, when you really look at the, the environment he's in in 97, you, you just can't help that they really manipulated the guy. I can't not be on Bret Hart's side at, at this point. And that goes without saying, obviously, Bret was like one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. So, But putting that aside, just looking at it like logically, it's, I, I wanted to point out Jim Cornette had a, a funny quote that he's like, well, Bret Hart like, took, took wrestling too seriously. But man, I wish guys th- these days took wrestling that serious. So just goes to show you what, what kind of impact he uh, he has yeah. and just the legacy it brings. Yeah, I always I'm I'm gonna go record I always kind of sided with Brett. Now maybe I, I have a dis more of a dislike than the average person for Vince, especially actual real life Vince stories. But I always I don't know, he always seemed really loyal and it didn't seem like there was any reason to ever screw someone like that over, you know what I mean? Yeah, part of it was like, come on, man, stop complaining, get over it. But that, it's yeah. easy yeah. for me to say. But when you when you look at his life again, man, he's gone through some stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, been also a lot no more than I realized. Yeah, 
Right. No, knowing more about his dad, it makes it hard. So everyone had a little bit of sympathy for Vince in the sense that you feel his panic. His company's going under and his world, what happens if his world champion betrays him? I can feel that, you know, anxiety in my stomach. Right. And it, well, it's the kind of thing to like, do what you're told. Like, this is just wrestling. What does it matter? Type of thing, you know? Yeah. But I don't, I don't know. The, the more you look at it, the more sides of the story comes out. Also, as time has gone on, there aren't more shady stories about Brett because they wanted to besmirch Brett's name a bit. Any bad story you've heard about Brett was out years ago. As the years go on, more shitty things come out about the clique and Vince. Where you're like, oh, no, really? Yeah, oh, that, that really? Yeah. I mean, some of that's because the the other guys kept working and he didn't, to be fair. Yeah, also, yeah, that, that, that is... That there is, is a greater great. body of work there. So. Yeah, yeah, maybe Brett ends up being a, a dick if he gets a couple more years, yeah. for sure. But yeah, I, I'm going to go on Brett's side. Just think of bitter I'm, Brett I'm, without uh, without the injuries. Like, <laughs> think, of how, think of how problematic he could have been. Like, <laughs> Yeah, think when he when he gets the balls to actually be Hogan. When, when Brett becomes the Hogan. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with his run because I, while I know it's documented as a disaster, I've never actually got to watch it myself. I've just got hearsay and is what this podcast is about, seeing if the hearsay is true. But that's us for another edition of the WCW vs. NWO podcast. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle WCW vs. NWO podcast. Where else can they find us, Connor? Well, you can check us out on SoundCloud and other podcast catchers of choice. Also, check out our Vimeo page. I just edited a promo package for Bash of the Beach 1996 because it really needed it. Uh, if you watched our video of uh, going over the main event, I, I explicitly said how bad the original promo package is. So I, I felt like I had to do it myself, and man, was it easy to do. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> definitely check that out. Uh, it's under the handle of Vimeo.com slash WCW versus NWO podcast. From me, Connor and Gus, thanks for listening and join us next time when a crow finally takes flight. I've proven myself so many times here in the World Wrestling Federation. And I've tried to be everything that you wanted me to be. But it seems to me that you don't understand. You don't understand what it means to have dignity, to have poise, to bring prestige to the World Wrestling Federation, to be a man that has a, that brings a little class. Because you'd rather cheer for heroes like Charles Manson and, and, and O.J. Simpson and Nobody glorifies criminal conduct like the Americans do. In all the countries that I go to around the world, they still respect what's right and what's wrong. Now that we've made everything really clear with ourselves here tonight, it's obvious to me that all you American wrestling fans coast to coast you don't respect me. Well, the fact is, 
I don't respect you. You don't deserve it. So from here on in, the American wrestling fans, coast to coast, can kiss my 